0: Hello and welcome to an episode of Software Should Be Free with myself, Tim Abel. Just a few subjects today. Uh, I want to talk about Git and diffs and three-way mergers. Uh, Small update on Rust. Um, Bit of a possible rant about hexagonal architecture. Um, Bit about testing uh, and a note about the blog and email newsletter. So yeah, I've been kind of busy lately, picked up another C-sharp client, um, I still, I'm chipping away at the idea of a consultancy in Rust, the Rust Workshop brand is still around, um, it's been <laughs> a little while I got my one year domain expiry notification which caught me off guard, um, the Gitopolis Rust project is still out there. I'm still using it for client work. It's been very tidy and useful for keeping up to date with all of those many Git repositories. Uh, pretty pretty pleased with that. Uh, and I shall talk a bit more about that. A couple of things from the blog. Um, so let's dive in. This is a bit a bit of a grab bag of things. Um, so I'll just get going. So let's let's start with A little thing, which is Git and three-way merges. It's one of those things that's been a blog post brewing for many years. I've I've helped a ton of people with Git over the years, and one of those little things that seems to trip people up is uh, merging and rebasing. And if anything goes wrong and you get a conflict, like it will. It can be a bit overwhelming git can be a bit overwhelming anyway but uh when you when you fall into the conflict stuff it's uh there's a whole other level of stuff that you just have to know um and uh one of the drums I want to bang is uh three way merge tools uh this is totally underappreciated and misunderstood um amongst many of the get users that I come across willing or unwilling um so a lot of the get tools when there's a conflict particularly the ids will present you with two or three windows with what your changes look like and what the changes from the other side look like which could be the main branch or um your own stuff potentially depending on what you've been doing um and sometimes an output window that's separate um And you may have heard the term three-way mergers uh, and seen three windows and think you're doing it. Um, The term three-way mergers actually refers to um, three inputs and you can have the output as well. So that would often show up as four windows, confusingly. So the three inputs are base, as it's known, um, which is actually before anyone changed anything. Uh, So if you look down the graph in Git of what you're merging with it's the point at which these two lines diverge um then you have local and remote um and the the main drum i want to bang is make sure you get a proper three-way diff tool that actually understands these three uh so kdiff is being generally my go-to um uh having <laughs> tripped tripped over a merge that was a bit tricky when I was a bit too tired um even even with the kdiff merge um I ended up staring blankly at the <laughs> the merge window so I went went looking for some other tools and it turns out uh beyond compare which is paid for uh actually did a better job than kdiff much to my surprise um but generally certainly if you want an open source tool uh kdiff is the one that has the best merge algorithm out there Um, quite often you'll point at a merge where git will say oh there's a conflict um, and kdiff will say "Mm, i can solve that one and it'll immediately close uh, and leave you on your way to finish your merge or rebase which is really cool Um, but yeah i shall be probably using beyond compare um, for anything non-trivial from here on Uh, i'm still still on the trial but so far so good Um, and then once you've got that set up which you um, as a serious developer you you definitely should um, then the next thing that's a constant source of confusion is that the meanings of the terms are a bit fluid Uh, this took me probably years to figure out what the hell was going on albeit a long time ago now Uh, so base is always the same base is always before you changed it before the other person changed it um so that's fairly straightforward local and remote though um I, w- I would look at kdiff and every time i think thought i'd figured out what local and remote meant i would realize i was wrong <laughs> and it it turned out that the reason is because they swap um depending on whether you're doing a merge or a rebase so for a merge so as in i'm merging another branch into what i'm doing so quite often you're on a feature branch and you might merge the main branch or master branch back into your branch in this case local is your branch where you are now uh, and remote is going to be what you're merging in so that would be the other side uh, so it'll be main or master <laughs> or potentially some other branch um and when you are doing a rebase um Git does something interesting, which if you understand the mechanics, it all kind of makes sense of how it does it. When you do a rebase, the first thing that happens: so you're on your branch, your feature branch, um, and you say, oh, "I'm quite out of date. I'm going to rebase onto main." Um, then, uh, how about this? Git will. Um, Take you, for want of a better word. (laughs) And it will put your current state with none of your commits on top of the main branch. So what they call the head pointer um, is now at the top of main, usually origin main. Don't forget to update main or use origin main so that you don't end up behind. Also, don't forget to fetch first. That's a common thing that I trip over. (laughs) Um, And then the rebase will replay your commits from your branch one at a time on top of where you are. Um, and during this time, it's, it, what's, it's in what's called detached head state, so there's no branch. Um, it's just the head pointer accumulating these commits. And then when you've got all of your commits from your branch, then it will move your branch pointer to the successful completion. Um, you'll have to resolve any conflicts along, along the way. So, with that in mind, your perspective, as you on the head branch on our domain, is is now backwards. So, it, without telling you, it's moved you from your branch to the main branch. And what that means for local and remote in three-way merges is local is actually what's on main or what's been applied so far onto main, and remote is your own branch, which is really confusing. So, if you sometimes merge and you sometimes rebase they're sometimes one way around and sometimes the other so yeah if you're doing a merge remote is the one you're merging in if you're doing a rebase remote is actually your branch that you were on so yeah so two two things there um hopefully that will help a bit with terminology uh, and please use proper merge tools don't accept the fact that all of the defaults are two-way merges if you ever find yourself editing conflict markers, my God, please don't do that. Um, <laughs> I have literally seen people incorrectly resolve a merge, which could have been done automatically by the tooling if it was set up properly. Um, so yeah, ab- absolutely, please do use the tooling. And if you want to see a bit more of that, this is this is on the blog. Uh, I've done two blog posts uh, in October twenty. 20- October the 20th, 2023, two blog posts in one day. Uh, one for the merge tools uh, called Use Kdiff for Merge Conflict Resolution. And one for what do base, local and remote mean. <laughs> um, so check those out if you want. To. And while we're on the subject of GET, I have yet again been um, banging the drum of... Uh, avoiding github's squash merge and rebase buttons because they're basically evil i won't go into that now because i've already gone on about git far too long uh, but go read the blog posts if you ever use the rebase or squash merge buttons in github and the uh, other blog post that is cross-linked from that is the nuance of rebasing and merging like if you're on a feature branch when do you rebase and when you merge in very roughly have a go at rebasing if it goes badly then maybe you give up and just do a merge but the the golden rule is you've got to look at your history look at the history that you're creating make sure you've got a good graph view, so you can really see what's going to end up on there yeah that's that for git things the other thing from the blog um, uh, i tripped over hexagonal architecture uh, rather hard <laughs> It was it's not been my most fun experience I've I've heard people talk about hexagonal architecture uh, on and off um, and I'd kind of not really understood what that was all about You know, I'd looked at the blog post and been like I don't kind of get it it's like well alright so you've got core of business logic and some stuff around the edge I don't really get all the fusses about I don't really know how to translate that into a system meaningfully um so i'd asked a few people and the people i happened to have talked to at the time would be like yeah it's rubbish don't worry about it (laughs) so i had done that and then uh, i was having a conversation with a potential client uh, where they asked me about hexagonal architecture and i relayed that kind of viewpoint and they let me hang myself with that and then went no oh, we use hexagonal architecture you are the weakest link goodbye uh so that was not entirely fun when i was trying to sort out the next thing to do so being of the kind of person i am uh i then went on a bit of a mission to understand what am i missing here like why? why is it that i my view has been i don't kind of entirely see the point of this thing and i talked to some people and they were a sort of a, a similar view and then i meet this other group of people and they're like oh yeah this is definitely a thing like what's going on here so clearly i'm missing something here so i've done a ton of research um, looked into everything i can find on the subject watched a bunch of videos and um, talked to a bunch of people who have been using systems that claim to be of that form talked to some people who are in my circle who are more pro this kind of terminology and approach um and it's sort of swung much more into focus um i'm still a bit knocked about the whole thing frankly <laughs> um because it still seems to me like it's been for whatever reason blown up into this thing that's bigger than really it deserves to be um there's not really anything wrong with the principle. It's not like I think this pattern is fundamentally bad or anything. Um, but it's it's fairly simply like isolate your code from its dependencies, which I think part of my issue with it is like, well, yeah, isn't that kind of obvious? But maybe one of the reasons that this has been such a big deal is because it's not that obvious. And actually, people continuously write systems which are just thoroughly entangled between a core of logic and all of its dependencies so (laughs) maybe it's fair play and and the terminology hexagonal architecture or ports and adapters is worthy of having the drum beaten and reminding people to not entangle everything um and encourages testability and what have you um yeah so i have written a rather lengthy piece um on the subject on the blog so what is hexagonal architecture which you can go and look at if you're in any way similar to me and wondering kind of like what am i missing here Um, so i think i'm not sure i would necessarily use the term but i think if i I, I, let's put it this way i could hold my own in a conversation now about what it is and what it means and when it's appropriate Um, and certainly when a system is violating that kind of separation of concerns um i'd definitely be wary of like using this kind of well-named architecture uh, at least a catchily named architecture to result in a whole bunch of over-engineering um which is always a risk with these things or um using it to kind of lend credibility where perhaps it isn't deserved um to sort of squash any questioning of a design like ah well I'm doing hexagonal architecture therefore you can't possibly question me and say I'm over engineering it because it's a good named pattern and then creating some unholy unmaintainable mess with too much code in it as I have seen things in that ilk Um, so yeah that's been a a bit of a journey Um, lots of train rides writing it up and editing it um, to get that into kind of a decent shape So hopefully if that's uh, an area that comes up for you or you find interesting, um, then have a read. Certainly be interested in your feedback. Um, On a sort of related note, and this is not something I've blogged about yet, um, I want to talk a bit about uh, automated testing, like um, regression testing, the whole TDD and school of testing thing. So I think I'm pretty late to this party, frankly. And I've I kind of been pro TDD, um, pro testing, kind of get the testing pyramid thing. But I think I think I've fundamentally been kind of missing a key piece over quite a few years, um, which has led me to be a bit haphazard in my testing. Um, and the foundation for me, the, like the foundational justification for putting the work in for really good quality testing i've I've distilled this down into when you ship your first feature it's very easy to validate that that thing is still working when you ship your second feature it's really easy to validate the feature one and feature two are still working yeah cool easy why would i make life difficult maybe i'll write a few new unit tests because you know, TDD, got to be seen to do some testing these days, because otherwise you're definitely not a real developer. Um, but when you ship your 99th feature, how do you be certain that the other 98 still work and that you haven't broken any of them? And that, that's, for me, the crux of this entire thing. It's, It's not today, it's not tomorrow. It's a little way down the line when if you haven't got really solid regression tests in place that are automated that allow you to run a test suite and go I know that I haven't broken anything that the users care about in the way that the users care about them and that's that's the thing and it's actually really simple and I don't know why it's taken quite so, <laughs> quite so long to get to this I think partly a lot of the talk about testing talks about technical details of testing rather than this kind of fundamental sustainability of engineering delivery um, but I shall now be <coughs> banging that drum pretty hard everywhere I go um, so yeah that's that's the kind of core of it and um, I have put that into practice in this new Gitopolis tool that I've been working on um, so this is a fairly straightforward thing, it's a Little command line tool that's got a fairly small surface area, which kind of makes it ideal for you know trying out an approach as a hobby project. Um and I've being being an open source project, there's there's I'm probably not going to do a huge amount more on this thing in terms of features. So arguably is it entirely worth it? Um partly this is just kind of a tour de force to kind of prove that I can do it. Um there's two good reasons for. Um, wanting a, a test suite that proves that the actual tool still works for an actual end user with all of its features intact um, and one of them is security updates so everyone's becoming more and more aware of things like supply chain ta- attacks, um, critical vulnerabilities in libraries that leave you open and you know this particular tool is probably not <laughs> a huge vector for attack but it's still it's still good to run this good practice. Um, so I've got DependerBot set up on the repo. Um, when DependerBot tells me, oh, there's some cargo package updates because it's running in Rust, um, may or may not have security issues in those updates, um, having a really good test suite means that it's very straightforward to find out if you broke anything. So I can... I mean I don't use, I don't actually merge the dependable updates I've written a little script that runs the cargo update and upgrade and even gives me even upgrades to the latest rust version so I get a new compiler um, <clears throat> and then it runs the the test suite and you know it's, it's very very fast so it, scripted update all the update rust update all the packages to the latest version run the test suite and as soon as that's green, I can be pretty damn sure that I can ship that up to GitHub without really looking any more closely, because it's got end-to-end tests that actually run the compiled binary um, and check that all of the commands work. Um, and just to give you a, an anecdote of like, when my test, test coverage wasn't up to scratch, um, I had some reasonable test coverage, perhaps as as I would have done in the past before I'd kind of really gone on this like oh we, we've we got to be able to ship our 99th feature kind of tirade um i i did a refactor of um oh what was it oh, i don't know the name the name of something within the code base and i didn't think that this was going to affect anything because it was a refactor of some somewhere quite in the innards of the getopolis code base uh And I shipped it, and I didn't think anything else of it. And then I was updating the documentation, so I was running the command so that I could capture what the output looked like. And to my surprise, one of the options didn't line up. Um, And it turned out that, (laughs) because Rust being quite a good language for this stuff, um, the command line was inferred, the options in the command line was inferred based on the name of something, which I then refactored a layer further away and then had accidentally changed the command line interface so now I've made sure that my test coverage actually covers a whole load of short and long options and what have you so that if I did that again I would get a I would immediately get a test failure and I would know so package upgrades the the other reason um, that I personally want really good... Test coverage on this particular GitHub list tool is. I want to be able to accept changes from other people. Um, you know, if someone if this if this thing becomes a bit popular and people want to add features or bug fixes, I want to be able to pull down their PR, run the tests, and. Very quickly be able to see if they've changed the public interface of it or the behavior of it. So, like this thing covers, you know, its config storage format. It covers <clears throat> all the inputs. It covers, you know, whether it's behaving correctly with Git repositories. Um, so I should be able to tell fairly quickly um, both whether they've broken it, broken anything, and also like just visually see kind of what the change in behavior looks like, what the change in the config storage looks like. Um, so that's that's very pleasing. <sighs> right. So that's uh, automated testing shift left regression testing ship your 99th feature with confidence. Um this totally applies to big commercial projects. Um it if you can't have confidence with an automated test suite that all of the important things that your business cares about are still working, then your pace of delivery inevitably slows down because either you start shipping bugs because you're not being careful enough or you fall back to manual testing or customer testing <laughs> testing in production um, and And this is the justification for putting potentially quite a lot of work into creating a test suite which is more than just a unit test suite which is a a, an end-to-end outside in yes we definitely didn't break the thing test suite and this can be a lot of work um you can have you know tricky cloud things that you need to interact with you can have multiple microservices interacting um you can have graphical user interfaces um you know, there's, there's lots of tools that will help, but fundamentally these are still quite hard problems. Um, like I've seen Percy used quite effectively for user interface testing. So it, it this screenshots web pages and you know, if you if you make a change, like a refactor in it, and it massively changes the UI, you'll see it, which is great. Um, uh, I've seen teams use Postman for quite a lot of automating test automated testing of like across service, API services. This is, um, i not sure I'd go exactly that way, but it, you know, it's something that can poke a whole bunch of APIs. But whatever your approach, you're going to have to build some kind of infrastructure around this. It's, it's often quite a lot of work to get these things to run in <clears throat> CI pipelines, like GitHub Actions and what have you. You know, un- unit tests are kind of easy, but they don't really give you that, have I broken the thing the user cares about confidence? They're They're much more useful for, I like combination testing and fast feedback and more more granular testing of the pieces that you're building, so yeah, shift left regression testing, all of that goodness um I should uh probably turn that into a blog at some point um and I think I'll probably wrap it up there um as I say. Chipping away on the the rust thing. I'm running, reading Rust Meetup. Um, it's been going reasonably well. It's nice to see some people in person with a a, sh- a shared interest. Um, I'm the next thing that I'm probably going to do on the Rust side is have a have a play with web development. So you know I've I've written out a command line tool. Uh, and I now want to kind of get a handle on how you actually ship web and microservices things. I asked the question on Reddit of kind of what the current best practice is because um, being a more open source and relatively new uh, language and ecosystem things are evolving quite fast. So I'll have to have a have a look. I got a bit overwhelmed by the number of books there are already um, which cover different approaches. So yeah, I'm kind of planning my pet project for that one is to do a party invites thing to help people um deal with RSVPs and chasing people and maybe dietary requirements and stuff um so we'll see how that goes it's a a, sm- a smaller thing to bite off than the uh replace eBay thing that I would like to do one day but <laughs> it's probably a bit ambitious realistically um so that's possibly the next project um I ideally I'd pick up a Uh, a contract to deliver some proper rust work for a client for for a couple of people and i can compare on it with with uh another experienced rust person but uh if anything lands in my lap great if not i shall chip away building building skills and brand um to go with that see i'll watch this space on that um and the last thing to mention is i'm pretty happy with the uh blog to email setup. so i've i've always known i should probably do an email newsletter and i've you know i've had a Mailchimp, and never really done much with it because you know <laughs> what, what what am i gonna write i don't know and i couldn't bring myself to force myself to a schedule much like with this podcast um but thanks to button down uh button down or email uh, is their web address um as i truly a great email service for developers if you like markdown um and like nice straightforward simple things it's it's a great service it's not free but it's not very expensive um and they have an rss to email um and they've just fixed a couple of bugs for me which is really cool um so i've got all that hooked up and now my timwise.co.uk blog when i use git and vim and jekyll to tap something out and do a git push and github pages builds it it builds its rss feed as well or atom feed if you like um button down is keeping an eye on it and it'll <clears throat> chunk it up into an email and ping that out to my list which is really cool so if you wanted email updates of that stuff um you can have a look at the history of my blog to see what kind of things uh, i always try and give value um, try and do useful things try and help people um but yeah you can have that in your inbox if you want in terms of schedule it's all over the place it's when i have time and motivation to write something that i think will be useful for people so yeah sign up if that's of interest uh subscribe to this one give it votes uh put me in touch with rust people come along to the reading meetups every week every month on meetup.com um we hang out in in browns bar at the riverside um which is kind of fun chat about rust and other things um yeah i think that will probably do for one episode thanks for listening this has been software should be free and i will see you on the next one take care